Okay, podcast listeners, if you haven't taken advantage of this offer, you need to stop right now and do it. No more thinking. You can check out in under a minute. Get a free sample pack of Drink Element. This is electrolytes without the junk. It tastes great. No sugar. You get six different flavors to try. You pay $5 shipping. If you don't like it, I will refund your 5 bucks. Tons of Let's Runners have taken advantage of this offer. It's time for you to do it too. Now, go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. We thank you for the support. We've got a link for you in the show notes, and you can check out, even on your phone, super easy, under a minute. All right, we've got our New York City 50th anniversary recap podcast and a bunch more, plus an interview with Elkanah Kabat. First, American male in New York. He's living the American dream. Got a cool story. It was almost destiny that put him in America at Auburn University. The story's got connections to Daniel Cohen and Stephen Chirono. Enjoy. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The 2021 New York City Marathon is in the books and the World Marathon Majors Series 13 champions have been crowned. We'll unveil our winners and losers from New York. One of them, Drew Hunter, who is back, baby, as the 2021 USATF 5K Road Champion. We'll talk about him. There's a profanity controversy in Michigan try to hash all of that out at the end of the podcast we're going to be joined by Elkana Kibet who was the top American male finisher in New York over the weekend great podcast in store I'm joined by Robert and Weldon Johnson co-founders of let's run.com we had a little reunion at the media center on Thursday I can report all as well with them now I'm virtually reuniting with them for another podcast episode Robert Weldon good to see you over the weekend how you doing today Doing great, John. I can't believe you left out a few of the other things we'll be talking about. 12.52 on the roads. And most importantly, one of my favorite news segments, what I learned on the message board this week. Marriage is hell. Why haven't we figured out an alternative? All of that and more. If you want to have your opinions, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, you can pick up the phone and reach us. 844-LETS-RUN, 844-538-7786. And if you like this podcast, You'll love our Friday bonus podcast. Join our supporters club now. Lots of people joined over the weekend. Go to letsrun.com slash subscribe and become a letsrun.com VIP. And for the record, guys, I did check the voicemail. No good voicemails. If your next voicemail on the air gets a free pair of on shoes. So call in, hit the secret option seven. So, well, then, did we have bad voicemails or were these just telemarketing scams or they, they just weren't good enough to make the cut for a high quality audio program? It's high standards here, John, high standards. It's not, it's every, every top program has the screener. We need a, a fake somebody. Fake Josh Kerr was so great this summer. I don't know. Fake Alberto Salazar. Please call in. Please call in. Well, let's start with New York City Marathon. Plenty to discuss over the weekend. 
Perez Chipchichia gets the win on the women's side. She becomes the first Olympic champion ever to win New York, Olympic marathon champion, which is pretty crazy. And she won both of them in the span of 13 weeks, so that's even crazier. And on the men's side, Albert Correa takes the victory. And with that, he earns the World Marathon Majors Series title, which was a bit surprising, I think, to all of us at Let's Run.com. But he was second in New York in 2020, second in New York in 2019, first in 2021. That was enough to get him the series title and the $250,000 prize. So we'll talk about all of that. Biggest takeaways from New York. What stands out to you guys from the weekend that was? John, it's interesting. When you ask what my biggest takeaway for the New York City Marathon is, a couple of things jump out about me for the women's race. Perez, Chip, 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 I mean, how good is she? She's, is she better? I mean, I guess she is better than Coast Guy. She beat her at the Olympics. She's amazing. She hasn't lost at the half marathon or marathon in over two years. Unreal run. I also think Molly Seidel, she's made for the mar- for the marathon. Another great run for her. But uh, when I think about the men's race, I mean, Albert Career, this guy's got like a, a limp, a, what's it called? A gimp leg, and he's winning the marathon. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like, Candy looks so smooth. I'm like, oh, Candy's going to be a, a marathon star. No, Career wins it. I'm not sure what to think of that. I mean, he's the World Marathon, Abbott World Marathon Majors champion. Just won, what, $250,000? I, I just, I'm stunned by that. I can't believe that. But my other thoughts on that race, I don't know. I said on Friday's bonus podcast, Bikili doesn't produce here. I'm going to be so upset. He's got no excuses. And then he gets like six. So that's not bad, but it's not good. So I'm not sure if I should be upset with Kennedy say or what. I'm confused in the men's race. Yeah. And one of the things I thought, Robert, that you didn't mention was Viola Cheptu. You know, she was the second, she was second place in the New York City Marathon in her debut. And this was a woman, she was a collegiate runner at Florida State. She was a miler for most of her career. She was an Olympic semifinalist in the 1500 in 2016. She didn't run anything beyond 20K, it's beyond 10K until last year. She ran 66.47 in her half marathon debut. And that time you would think, oh, okay, 66.47, like it's pretty fast for a miler on the in the half marathon. But you know, you think maybe that's the end of her range. And then she goes to New York. She's right there with Perez Chipchichia at the end of a very exciting women's race and almost breaks the course record. She runs 222.44 in her debut. She's only 13 seconds off of the course record. This to me was shocking, her result. I agree, John. I mean, I would love to see you write a feature on, but by the way, Viola who? Cheptu? Can we keep her name? This is, her name is Viola Lagat. She's Bernard Lagat's sister. I mean, she's been known as Viola Lagat her entire career. And all of a sudden she runs the biggest, most high profile race of her life. And for some reason they put Cheptu on the bid. Even her own brother who was doing the commentating on the ESPN broadcast was calling her Lagat. So I, I, oh my God, like we're trying to promote the sport. Let's confuse people by having a different last name. But that was amazing what she did. and But I would like to see a profile of the Legat family because Legat was a star in college and a superstar as a pro. But better as a pro than you would have expected based on his college success. His brother, his brother Robert Cheserit, was an absolute superstar in college and then really did nothing as a pro. And then here you've got Legat who's, yeah, she made an Olympic team, but 404 in the 1500. By the way, Bernard didn't even know her PB. It's 404, not 406, like he said on the broadcast. But... 
This was a woman that was eighth at the NCAA 1500 in 2012. This is a woman that was like 11th in the NCAA cross country. I mean, go back to that meet in 2011 or 12. Betsy Sina wins it. Abbe D'Agostino, Jordan Hussey. You know, you got to go back like 30 seconds from the win, 25 seconds behind the win, and you've got Viola Lagat in 1952. You would never think this person's going to like almost beat the greatest marathoner in the world. So uh, I don't know, like heading into the men's race, when I was interviewing Ben True on Thursday, I was like, hey, if you rock this marathon, are you going to think you were in the wrong event the whole time? Uh, clearly with Viola Lagat, she's been in the wrong event her entire career. How, how could people not realize she had this type of endurance? Amazing run to, to her. Hats off. Kudos. Well, Robert, she did mention in the press conference. I asked her, do you think do you regret not moving up earlier? And she said her coach had been trying to get her to move up to the 10K earlier. And it sounds like she kind of resisted it. So it's interesting. I mean, she was having decent, you know, she was eking out a living as a professional. But yeah, clearly the marathon is where she should have been for a while. And it is interesting you mentioned the name thing because remember in Boston, the winner was Diana Kipyoke. And we found out her, she's got the name Kipyoge with a G on her bib. That's what everyone calls her going into the race. And then she wins the race and she actually says, no, it's Kipyoke. So we collectively as, as, as a sport need to do a better job of keeping track of these names, like picking a name and sticking with them, that sort of thing. It's just hard when you've got two of the top finishers at two of the biggest races in the world, and you, you're not totally sure what their names are. In modern society, I guess it's okay to butcher someone's name, but not their pronouns. Anyway, 10 years from now, no one's going to remember this men's race. I hate to tell it to you, Albert. I guess unless he goes on to be a superstar. I, he already is a World Marathon Majors champion. But when you look at the list of World Marathon Majors champion, there's one name that you're like, who? So that's my take on the men's race. Pretty unmemorable. But the women's race, about as good as it gets. Three women racing in from Columbus Circle. That's what, about 600 meters from the finish. And my other takeaway is, how is the course record still there? This race didn't seem super fast to me. And they still almost got the course record. I mean, there's now super shoes, all this Great runners, yet the course record is still from 2003. That thing is just ripe to go away. Yeah, it's just the fact is we've had some great marathoners run New York. I mean, Jeff Chirchir on Sunday, Jocelyn Jeff Cosguy, who I would say is a very close number two behind her in terms of the best marathoner in the world. She won New York in 2019. She almost broke it as well. And Mary Katani who won New York four times, the marathoner of the 2010s. I'm sure if she really went for it, she could have broken that course record as well. I guess she did She did really go for it. I think, was it her first time in 2010? And then she totally blew up. But then, you know, 2018, when she won, she closed in 66-54. Clearly, she could have broken the course record on that day. But in New York, it's about the place and not the time. So that's kind of, you know, if you if you have people going out and Jeff Chichi is trying to blast the course record, you don't have that exciting finish in Columbus circle, like we saw on Sunday. Yeah. Katani blowing up in her first New York. That was a problem because all these Kenyan marathoners look up to her and she tells them like, be careful on the course. So I think they take it super easy. The first half. It, my other big thing, it was great to have the New York city marathon again. It's, I don't know if it's the premier marathon in America, but it's the one most people see. 
It's on national TV on a weekend. Boston's the other one on national TV regularly, but it's on a Monday. So most people don't see it. And we're, it's seen internationally. I mean, I guess all these races are seen internationally, but on last week's podcast, we said, Hey, when was New York first broadcast on national TV? It turned out to be 81. And we also had a guy from New Zealand, write And said, I'm pretty sure it was on in 1981. I remember watching as a kid because a Kiwi won it. So that part is great. Just inspiring, you know, the next generation of runners. We need races like this on a major platform, ESPN. So that was great. Speaking of 81, one of the most interesting posts I read on the message board last week, and I can't remember which thread it was, but someone pointed out in this era of super shoes, the winning times, they were talking about Boston, but it's also true for New York on the men's side. They're not any faster now than they were in the 80s. Check this out. Here's the winning times from 1980 to 89. 209, 208, 209, 208, 214, 211, 211, 211, 208, and 208, So you only had four races that were over 210 in the 1980s. Let's go from 2011 to 2019. You have 205, okay, super fast, 208, but then you have 210, 210, 207, 210, 205, 208. So it's a little bit faster, but not that much. I mean, you still had a couple of races. And for Boston, it's even crazier. I mean, look at Boston here. In the 1980s, you've got 209, 208, 209, 210, 214, 207, 211, 208, and 209. So there's only three races that are over 210 in the 1980s. And then, but you go from 2011 to 2019 on the men's side, and you've got a 212, a 210, a 212, and a 215. So you've got four over 210. So it, it is kind of interesting how, you know, you put Alberto Salazar in this race from 1981, I think he would have been competitive, um, you know. But one thing I do think that was lost in this race, and I, I don't want to go into a monologue here on the broadcast because I'm writing a piece on it. So check out the webpage and you'll see a piece. I'm really trying to figure out ways that the broadcast can be made better is one thing I thought was lost though, was there was no concept of pace. And I know New York's about the win, but we as the viewer need to know that, Hey, the course record, they're, they're going sub 70 here in the second half. And when I was looking at those three women side by side and they said, who looks the best? What was crazy to me was none of the three looked tired. They looked like they were just jogging. So one would assume that the pace is slow. So I would really like to see at all times on all marathon broadcast, the mile by mile splits, they should show what mile they're on the last mile split and the projected pace. Is that too much to ask when you at the top of an NFL broadcast, you always see the score and the down like third and fifth, you know, third and six or whatever it is. To me, that's what that is, is sort of the projected pace, the last couple miles, et cetera. I would really like to see that. And I, I think that the entire broadcast, there was two mile splits mentioned, both on the women's side. Not once during the entire broadcast did we hear a split from the men's race. Yeah, and- we need to get splits like that on the screen. I think I think Deepen Shah is the one who did it for the Olympic marathon trials in 2020. 
that was great. They had this scoreboard. They had where every runner was and what their splits were. and every, I, I thought that was really helpful. And I don't understand why ESPN2 can't do that. They just have a scrolling. You know, they have the list, the leaderboard scrolling. But, yeah, they need to do better with the times there. And, Robert, you mentioned, like, you know, the time, the winning times, and it's not being that impressive. I mean, here's one theory. This field just wasn't that good. I mean, look at who's in there. We, we were talking before the race. There are a few guys who you would say are studs, but the the good guys didn't run well. Like Abdi Nagaye, he was fifth in two two eleven, didn't perform up to the standard that he wanted. Candice Bekele, sixth in two twelve. Kibwa Kandie, the half marathon world record holder, he totally blew up and went up ninth. Okay, sorry, correction. Not that the field wasn't good. There were some top guys, but the top guys did not run well. And then you left over one of the four top guys in the field, Korea. He ran well. He got the win. Then second was Mohamed El Arabi. Third was Aob Faniel of Italy. Those guys made the breakaway early in the race. And you would think, if you were talking about the top marathoners in the world, they, they were going quick, but they weren't going unsustainably quick if you were like a really star guy or if you had some of the guys from 2018 who ran 205 and 206 here. And the fact is, like, you know, there were four great guys in the race and three of them underperformed. And that's why you're left with, you know, only three guys breaking 210 and only one guy under 209. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, 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 there were some big names in this race. And yes. Yeah. To me, my biggest gripe, and again, I'm trying not to do this on this podcast. Please read my article. I've gone through and we watched the entire broadcast from start to finish. There were some really cool things on there. They had some cool features. They, I thought Kerry Tolson, John Anderson, and Bernardo Gott looked good. They had good energy. They had good rapport. But the, the sum of the broadcast was, which, was much more than, than the individual parts. Um, and one thing that was crazy about that broadcast was Kenanese Bekele's name was not mentioned at the start of the broadcast. His name was not mentioned twenty five until 25 minutes into it, which was crazy to me. But, yeah, Bekele, I mean, the GOAT, he, he didn't run well. Um you know, Candy looks so smooth. I think if he can get this knee fig- figured out, I think he's going to be very good at the marathon. Um, but if you compare the times, I mean, and I did this, the first half split for the winner was exactly the same as Jeffrey Camor's two years ago. And he had almost the same identical finishing time. Now, he went faster over the whole second half. It wasn't like all in the last 10K. So, yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, an amazing race by, by any stretch for the win there, but it's, you know, it, I talked about this in 2019 when Camaro won, even though he won in 2019, that race wasn't as good as some of the races that he's won. I mean, you know, yeah, if he had a Jeffrey Mutai in his prime in this race, oh my God, he would have destroyed everybody. Yeah. I think Kanye, that's a good point you made on him, Robert, because I thought he looked pretty good. You know, he was up there. He helped bridge the gap. Him and Korea worked together to reel in El Arabi and Faniel. And, he was there until about 19 miles, and then he just kind of blew up. You know, his debut marathon, he had a knee issue. I think he's still, he's got the potential to be very good in this re- event, but New York's a tough one, especially you know if you hit the wall at 20 miles in New York, that's that's a rough final 10k. You are going to slow down quite a lot. So, I think he's got some promise. Actually, one of the guys who did not really hit the wall in this race was Ben True. You know. He was the second American. Elkanah Cabet ran the race of his life to finish as the top American in fourth. And Ben was the number two American in seventh place overall. But what I found interesting is 
he got dropped very early. You know, he backed off. It was just after 5K where he sort of was just like, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. You know, or, you know, it's his first marathon. He didn't know exactly how he was supposed to feel. And it turns out, you know, he comes through halfway and he's, he's a bit back. He's about, he's 13th. But he had the fastest 5K split in the field from 35K to 40K. He split 15, 38. And that's in the hilly section in Central Park. And he moved up over the second half from 13th to 7th. So I actually think it was a good, pretty solid debut for him. You know, he did, it didn't go disastrously. Obviously, I think he would have liked to finish higher. But I think he also learned what it's like to race a marathon. And clearly he had more in the tank towards the end. So I think marathon number two, he'll know how to judge himself a little bit better and, you know, take another step forward. Yeah. His splits are crazy because he went sub five pace, basically from 35 K to the finish. Like who does that in a marathon yet? His second half though, John was slower than the first half. So he was rolling at the, at the end, like just crushing it, but somehow he slowed down to get to that point. So, you know, I, I, I was thinking like, who are the biggest winners? Who are the biggest losers in there? I think Ben really helped himself a lot. He's relevant again. He's got a new sponsor. ASIC signed him. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I think that he, he's one of the best runners in American history not to have made an Olympic team. After watching this race, do I think he could make the Olympics in 2020? Um, four in the marathon, I think it's a possibility. So congrats to Ben for, for, for running pretty well here. I really do want to see, though, the finishing kick between him and Bikile. Bikile beat him by one second. So I don't know. Like I, I think ABC has a finish line cam. I'm going to go back, maybe take a clip of that, put it up on YouTube to see. Like, did Bikile, like look over his shoulder and think, oh, there's going to be an extra ten grand if I beat him, or did he not care? That would be kind of interesting to see. Okay, a little fake news here by John. i got to praise Bryn True every time. Okay, a couple things about Ben's closing splits. One, I think that's an indictment of what Albert Career was doing up front. So Albert Career from 35K to 40K runs, let's see, 15.43. So that's over five-minute pace. I guess it's hilly. And what it's interesting to look at Ben True because – you're praising him. You're praising him. You're praising him. Why no praise for Nathan Martin? Are you excited about Nathan Martin's marathon career? He's the future of American marathoning, John. Well, Nathan Martin has run marathons before and Ben true in his very first race finished higher than him. Ben true also has much impress, more impressive PRs at other distances and Nathan Martin did not close as quickly, you know, over that 5K segment as Ben True. So those, I, I have more reasons for optimism. I think Nathan Martin is an encouraging story, certainly. But I have more reasons for optimism in Ben than I do in Nathan Martin. And we'll give him credit, you know, he was just behind Ben. And they had the very similar individual place. race. He finished eighth in 2.12.57. He was four seconds behind. So that's actually... That's the crazy thing. Ben is one second behind Bekele. Like, if you told me Ben True beat Kennedy to Bekele, I'd be like, all right, that's, you know, kind of a surprising, you know, surprising result. Nice scout to have. Nathan Martin almost beat Kennedy to Bekele. Now, that would be quite a scout for Nathan. Yeah. So, the thing I was going to point out was, and as Robert pointed out, Ben's second half was slower than his first, despite closing so hard. 
So these guys really let the pace lag from like 13 to 18 miles. And if you look, the second pack was together till about uh, 30K. And then Nathan Martin took off. Um, So at 30K, they were together. And by 20 miles, Nathan Martin was four seconds ahead of Ben True. And by 35K, he was 16 seconds ahead of Ben True. So he just really went for it. And they're pretty much together at 40K and then Ben pulled away by four seconds at the end. So they are actually, you know, pretty similar from the final eight miles of the race. And uh, I don't know what, if they just were playing cautious from 13 to 18, or you're just kind of running in the pack and you're thinking the guys are up front, we'll make a break at some point. And and that's what we're going to do towards the finish. But Nathan Martin doesn't have a shoe sponsor. He's sponsored by two XU. Is that what it's called? It's an apparel company. I'm just surprised in today's era, he's the fastest black American born marathoner. I'm just surprised in today's era that doesn't get him some sponsorship, but maybe when I'm making the distinction of where someone's born in the race, that's, that's too much, but there's such a focus on race and I don't know, gender and all these things these days that regardless, maybe that's the great thing about running. We don't care. Great run. By Nathan Martin. This guy's a substitute teacher, got a real job. He's four seconds behind Ben True and five seconds behind Kenneth Bikili. And I, uh, also, John, we're, we're butchering people's names. If you look at the um, all these years, we've been saying Bikili's name wrong. Please pronounce his name, John. It's is it supposed to be Bekela? Is that what the world the pronunciation guide said? Yes. Yeah, I'm. I. I'm too ingrained at this point, I think, to change. So Robert, but, well, every time he says the name wrong, please get on him. <laughs> the well, the thing about Nathan Martin is like, yeah, great, really inspiring run for him. Super impressive. I mean, this was two twelve fifty seven. He was eighth. I would say this was more impressive than when he ran two eleven oh five to take ninth at the marathon project this year. But here's the facts. The the fact of the matter is like. You got to be faster than a two eleven marathoner at this point in twenty twenty one to get a sponsorship. If you look, Ben True and Noah Drotty, Drotty ran two oh nine last year. He was second at the marathon project, almost two minutes ahead of Nathan Martin. He didn't have a sponsor until last week. Ben True went most of this year without a sponsor, finishing fourth at the Olympic trials. You know, and Nathan Martin, he ran two eleven oh five last year at the marathon project. He was only ninth in that race, and you know, Drotty doesn't have a sponsor ahead of him. I go look at the other guys to see if how many other guys ahead of him were sponsored, but the sh- the shoes have readjusted the time. So Noah Drotty, like if he ran two oh nine ten years ago, yes, he'd e- he'd easily have a sponsor. But when you run two oh nine in twenty twenty, you know it doesn't mean the same thing. Good point, John. I want to take back what I said about Ben True. He's never going to make an Olympic team. The more I think about it, <laughs> oh my god, Let's go negative on him. Well, why are we talking about Ben True? This is this is unconscious white male bias. Let's talk about the, the shocking performance of the day on the women's side. And we talked about Viola Legat, but Annie Frisbee, my God, that was mind blown away. Even her coach was blown away. This is a woman in case you didn't know. And this is one of the problems I thought on the broadcast. They kind of assumed that people knew who this woman was. I had no idea who she was. Jonathan Galt had never heard of her. Weldon had never heard of her. Let's be honest. This is a woman. Who- I, I, correction. I heard her name, but I really didn't know anything about okay. her, but I did. I recognize the name. I had heard her work too because I get the Team Minnesota e- newsletter. 
I probably had never read it till last week, for, but for some reason I did. And I'm like, oh, Andy Frisbee, cool name. Yeah, it helps the whole last name's Frisbee. So, you know, it's fairly memorable. Yeah, Robert, she led most of the, she read like, led like the first half of the race. She was right up there, looked totally in control, looked pretty strong, finished seventh in 226.18. Before Sunday, only one American had ever run faster than that on the New York City Marathon course. And that was Cara Goucher in 2008. Now, Molly Seidel and Kellen Taylor both beat her on Sunday, but 226.18 in your debut in New York is fantastic. To lead most of the race, and this is not, again, this is someone who was, when I mean, we talk about Viola Ligat not being a college star, this is someone who wasn't a college star at all. I mean, twenty-nine. she just graduated in 2019. Her claim to fame in Iowa State was 34th of NCAA cross country. So they put 40 as an All-American, but she's a long way back. And, and the track, I think she, her best conference finish was like fifth her senior year. Maybe, I'm, maybe it was a little higher than that. So, you know, then she gets picked up by the Minnesota Distance Elite team just got an email from their founder patricia goodwin um by the way they had to change their name this used to be team minnesota usa but the olympic people got mad that they had usa in it so <laughs> they've got a new name what Minnesota distance elite yep and um well i think they used to be team usa minnesota right yeah yeah so and team usa you know america wasn't wasn't happy about that apparently so anyways but you know she's been running well on the roads but you would have never predicted this in her entire life. I mean, the coach, Chris Lundstrom, was stunned by it. The person least stunned seemed Annie. I mean, she just was out there like, oh, I didn't plan on leading it, but I did. Just absolutely amazing. I mean, this was sort of what you would dream of as in a career for someone who has those type of college credentials, and she knocks it out of the park the first time out there. So really amazing run for her. So, so impressive. But – she was not the top American. The top American was Molly Seidel. And I don't know, John. I, I, I praised Molly earlier in the show. I said she was made for the marathon. But I'm known to like flip-flop on my opinions. I've already praised Ben True and ripped Ben True. I may have to do the same thing for Molly Seidel because I'd written down here in my show notes something I was upset with you, John. I don't like you spreading fake news on Twitter. Yeah, I said Molly Seidel was four for four in her marathon career, and you apparently take issue with that, Robert. Yes, on November 7th, John writes, Molly Seidel's four for four in marathons. She runs 224.42, a personal best, and the fastest ever by an American woman in New York to finish fourth in the New York City Marathon, Marathon Star. John was praising this run. When I look at it objectively as a just results that are all that matter, this was her worst marathon of her career. Every other marathon, she's been in the top three. So she falls back to fourth, and not only that, she's never won any of her four marathons. So I have to say she's zero for four marathons. Okay. While we're at it, should we change the scoring in baseball? Because you can go four for four with four singles, but they didn't hit four home runs. So really that's 0 for four because they didn't get any runs. Right, Robert? I agree with you. I hope people realize I'm joking. She was amazing. But it is interesting, right? Because nobody... Well, I, I was thinking on like getting the track. If you go to some Diamond League meet and you finish fourth, I guess if you set an American record, but this is an American course record, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, you're just so much more relevant by finishing fourth in a major than you are if you finish fourth on the track. Yeah, the interesting thing, so Molly Seidel, first of all, can I take my little victory lap here? We had, I recall on the podcast last week, I believe it was on the Friday 15, 
You and I made a bet, Mr. Johnson, about who would finish higher in the New York City Marathon. You took the GOAT, Kenisa Bekele. I took Molly Seidel. Molly was fourth. Kenisa was sixth. So that's $10 in my pocket. Thank you very much. But here's the thing. Like, going in, this is the re- Molly was not saying, like, oh, this is a great buildup. You know, she said it was tough for her to mentally refocus after the Olympics. She hinted at some difficulties in her training, which she later revealed she broke two ribs a month before the race. She almost pulled out of the race because it was affecting her so much. She ran with some pain on Sunday, but she said it didn't really affect her running form. She's reached the point in her career for me where she's just like Des Linden was maybe the last five, 10 years ago, where even if the buildup wasn't great, I just have such confidence that in her toughness and her ability that she's going to execute and she's going to get a good race out of it. I was surprised. I didn't expect that she would run the fastest time ever by New York in New York and get a personal best out there. But that just shows me how talented and how tough she is. And I'm excited to see what she, I mean, I would assume Boston is the, odd, the obvious choice for her next spring. You know, she has lit, she spends some of the, her time in Cambridge. She seems to do well in tough sort of courses and environments. I think Boston would be it. You know, there's no London to go run a PR in. But I'm curious, put her on a flat course in great conditions. Is she going to be someone who could run under 219? But, uh, sorry, under 218? Sorry, under 220. Could she tackle the American record? Because you look at the results and some of the people she's beaten, it would suggest she could run 219.36, which is the American record. But it might just be she's one, someone who's cut out for really tough courses and tough environments. What do you guys think? Could she take a run at the American record in, in the next few years and would she get it? I think we'll find out in the future. I, I don't, the American record in the era of super shoes, the, the men's record should be gone and the women's record should be gone. I mean, you've got a two minute advantage on your feet. So Dina Castor was damn good, but this woman's also got an Olympic record, Olympic medal and super shoes. So can, will she do it? I don't know. Would you know, but I think it's certainly there's a real good chance it happens eventually. I mean, running fast and placing well in a tactical race, or this isn't tactical is not the right word, but a difficult course are slightly different things. But she's made for the marathon, so you got to think if Sarah Hall thinks she can get it, why can't Molly? And the guys, training tip from Molly. And I'd say Nathan Martin. I mean, the lead up, you guys need to listen. You need to be supporting club members to get the Friday 15. But we revealed there that Molly, one, she didn't want to talk about our buildup. Compare your buildup to the Olympics. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer that. Can't can't go there. And so you kind of got thought something was going on. And then she did reveal like, look, I came back from the Olympics. I ran Falmouth. Things were going well. And then I had this huge letdown. She's supposed to go to Flagstaff and start hitting it. And she's like, I can't. So she took time away, went up to Wisconsin with her family, and just had had to get things going right when they were right. She couldn't force it. You can't force training. And then things she did 20 mile up there. Things started going better. She went to Flagstaff and did the best she could on this day. So she got her fitness to the best it could be, and then she ran her best on that day. Those are the two things you can do. You can't force your fitness. Nathan Martin said he was smashing his workouts. They were going great. But he's like, the problem was I just wasn't ready to run 
two days later. I, I, I couldn't recover. So he, he was taking a week between workouts. Never heard of that before. But that shows another guy who's like listening to his body. And great runs by both of them. So I guess the thing is, right, like how good are you are and how much are you getting out of the, uh, on that day? And Molly's shown she knows how to get the most on that day for sure in the marathon, and she's pretty damn good at it. That's a good combo to have. Yeah. And the one th- final thing I'll make about the American record point, I don't think it's a given she she gets it just because, you know, look at Meb Kofledsky, right? Arguably the greatest marath- American marathoner of all time. He's uh, he's up there. You know, maybe you have Shorter ahead of him. Maybe you have Canucci, but he's on the Mount Rushmore. He never ran faster than 208.37. He never came close to the American record because he was mostly running Boston and New York. Uh, he ran London once, I think. He ran Chicago. But, you know, if you say, okay, I'm primarily going to run Boston and New York and then I'm going to take one shot at it and maybe in Berlin or Chicago or something and you come up short, she might never get that close to it. It's kind of interesting. You know, that's sort of Shalane Flanagan. She took one real crack at a super fast time in her career, which was Berlin in 2014. But then otherwise she was running the Olympics or she was running Boston. That's the same with Molly. She ran the Olympics, she ran the trials, and she's running the World Championship Marathon next year. Actually, that's one thing we can mention. She told Chris Chavez she's going to be running the World Championship Marathon. So now it means every American who is in the top three, you know, is has the opportunity to be selected for the World Championship Marathon next year. And Eugene has taken the spot. It's Galen Rupp. It's Elkana Kabet, who was fourth in New York. And it's Colin Mikau, who was sixth in Chicago. That's the U.S. men's team. The women's team is Seidel, based on her Olympic finish. And then Emma Bates and Sarah Hall, who was second and third in Chicago. So usually you'll see Americans skip the World Championship Marathons. Not this year, not in Eugene on home soil 2022. Well, I still hope she does Boston. I was When I was debating whether she was going to take this world spot, I was like, my first instinct, honestly, was I hope not. But then I thought about, I just wanted her to do Boston. Like, I would like to see her do Boston. I don't want to have to wait till August. But she, she could easily do both. I mean, Boston's what, in April? Then you got May, June, July, August? I mean, she, you know, whatever. Because I was thinking about what, she's already got the global medal. So what does Worlds do to her there, I mean, what does it do? You know, I mean, it's another medal. It's on home soil. If she wants you to do it, a gold medal. If you win, that's another thing, right? World champion. That'd be pretty cool. Well, okay. I guess she can hope that it's really watered down from Ethiopia and Kenya. Hello. Hello. The Olympics weren't watered down. She got third place. She was pretty damn close. Like, we don't need to kid ourselves anymore. The Olympics, okay. By definition, there's only three Kenyans, three Ethiopians. So there is a limit on we we were debating on the friday 15 we need a term for this the fillers i agree on one sentiment if you lined up all the best marathoners in the world in a race molly will never would never win but in an olympic style style race or a world marathon major style race we don't have them all in one race she's got the chance to win yeah i I didn't mean it as disrespectful but my my point was i mean you you can have some "Quote unquote random Kenyan by Viola Lagat. I mean, this woman that was less credentialed than Molly, way less credentialed than Molly, in the NCA, and she shows up in New York and somehow gets second. So there's so much talent over there; it's incredible. It's really amazing if you think about it. Um, so yeah, she could win. I mean, if she's motivated, whatever this woman wants to do, my God, do it because she's just—I don't know. They, they did a three-minute feature on her and John Green, 
And I loved it. Like her, her little personality, you could see like, Hey, here's my medal. It was really qu- quite well done. I, I just think she's got some spunk to her, but I wanted to see her in Boston. I don't want to wait till August. So I'm glad she's doing well. I don't know if she's doing Boston. It would make sense to do Boston. Speaking of Boston, let's think about Bekele. I talked to the agent, Josh Hermans before the race. He said, I'm talking to Boston soon. Like this weekend, he was going to be talking to Boston. Does Bekele still move the needle for you guys? I mean, I, I, I said, you know, on the Friday 15, I'm like, he better do something or I'm done. There's no excuses here. I don't want to hear he didn't sleep, blah, blah, blah. He was supposed to be in amazing shape for Berlin, you know, and then even better shape here. And then he's only six. So I don't know. Like to me, I'm still going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it may be like Michael Jordan and the Wizards, but it's still interesting to me. I want him in Boston. I hope they give him a big appearance fee. What about you guys? Yeah, I agree, Robert. He still interests me. He's a fascinating runner because we know the potential for greatness is there, but he seems more hu- human than Kipchoge because Kipchoge is just this, you know, basically like this perfect person. He never runs badly. Okay, he ran one bad marathon in London, but, you know, he's like an automaton. But Kale is cut, he, the regular runner can relate. It's sort of like people were fascinated by Alan Webb. People were fascinated by Ryan Hall because they had the highs, but they also had the lows. So that's what's interesting about Bekele. He, I, I'm not totally writing him off, but I think maybe play this podcast like in six months from now if he's doing Boston to have me pump the brakes on the hype machine because you know it's been two years. It will have been two and a half years since his last good marathon. The one thing I will give him credit for when he announced he was running Berlin and New York this fall, six weeks apart, I think everyone was like, no effing way does he finish both of those races. You know, this is a guy who drops out. He dropped out with a mile to go in Amsterdam in 2018. He'll scratch. He'll drop out. He finished third in Berlin and sixth in New York. That's not what he wanted, but he finished both races in respectable times. So, that to me, I, I I was impressed by that. But Bekele, he's shooting for the the win. You know, he's not going to be like oh third or sixth. So that was great. You know, he want he still wants to win. Wow, John just called the two twelve a respectable time. Well, respectable place, sixth place. Yeah. Okay, should we just stop believing? One, anything someone tells us at a marathon pre race. Is there any point to go to these press conferences? We thought we said Abdi Nagaye was going to win the race. We were so confident. He sounded so confident. He didn't run that great. But Kele, we were acting like he still can break the world record. That's sort of the indication his camp gives. And then he goes out and runs not great. He finished. We still talk about him. But at some point, when do, when are we going to stop talking about him? I guess when he stops lining up, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he's look what he's done in his career. He's run 201. He's what 12 time world cross country champion. He's got gold medals on the track. World re- used to have the world records. Like, he's a legend. You know, it was, it's like Hailey G when he'd line up, people would still write about him because he's a legend. So, that's what's going to happen. Uh, and speaking of Hailey G, I meant to say this, but Kaylee's actually added to his legacy and separated himself from Hailey G- Gabriel-Celesi this weekend. Hailey Gabriel-Celesi in his only New York City Marathon DNF. Bekele, six. Bekele, greater than Hailey G. Well, how about this? He also, Kipchoge has never even run New York. Bekele, greater than Kipchoge. 
it was interesting talking to Josh Hermans about this because it's clear that Herman's views of Bekele is a bigger talent, I would say, than Kipchoge. But Kipchoge has the mindset, the Zen mindset. I wasn't going to say that because I didn't put that in my article. I was afraid that was sort of off the record. But then Matthew Futterman put it in his article in the New York Times. So now I'll say it. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens there. By the way, we haven't really talked about the top American male, Akana Kabet, and that's because we're interviewing him at the end of this podcast, in case you've already forgotten. But look, I'm 39 been, years old, 38, I believe. Well, then, right? He's running well at an advanced age. Edna Kipagot is in her 40s and getting second in Boston. So there's hope that this can keep going for Bikile for a couple of years. You know, Herman's thought, hey, he still wants to break the world record. Kipchoge wants to break the world record, etc. But I've been spending a lot of this podcast while you guys were talking, finding out what some of these names mean. And Lagat mentioned this on the broadcast, but he didn't really explain it. So... The reason why, like, you're from the same family but have a different last name is because your last name comes from, like, based on when you were born or what was happening when you were born. So what what example, what name would you like me to tell you about, John? Cheptu, right? Viola Cheptu. Cheptu means she was born when visitors were around. So you got, the, you got the neighbors over, families in town, you have a baby. Hey, the last name will be Cheptu. Um, Kipchumba, John. Who, who's a famous runner named Kipchumba? I think there's somebody named Kipchumba, right? Is there an Alfred Kipchumba or somebody? That means born near white men, i.e. in a hospital or in a town or on a white-owned farm. Yeah, that would be Vincent Kipchumba is one guy. I think there is an Alfred Kipchumba, but Vincent Kipchumba, Kipchumba was second in London the last two years, right? How, how about uh, what's some world record holders? Wilson Kipsing, that means he was born outdoors, Kipsing. Kipchoge, the goat, that was means he was born near the grain storage bin. Folks, Kipchoge, was his mom was out there near the storage bin with the grain, popped out the baby. Um, Kipchoge also means born in a hurry after a short labor. Kiptanui, you fainted at birth, which means failed to cry or breathe at birth. One last one, John. Sammy Winger, I don't know what this means. This is all from, by the way, this is all for from Kenyans.co.k. Wenjuru, I don't know what this means. He's one of the nine founders. I don't know what that means. If anyone knows, email the show, pod at letsrun.com, pod at letsrun.com. Well, Robert, I've wanted to know, well, I think that's interesting. Sammy, he was a member of the Kikuyu tribe. He was not... um, Kalenjin? Kalenjin. That's the main tribe for most Kenyan runners. So that might be why it's something different. You know, like David Rudisha, he was in the Maasai tribe. So Rudisha is not sort of a name. There's not a Kip or a Cheer or a Chumber or that sort of thing. So someone who's more of an expert on us might be able to break it down, but that will be my guess. Now, the I have wanted to do this, though. This was my idea. We did like sort of a bracket a few years ago with the greatest American distance runner last year, and we did greatest race of the decade for the 2010s. What about a bracket like greatest Kenyan last name? And you just sort of, you put the achievements of all the Kip Chumbas against all the Koreas, against all the Kip Sangs, against all the Kip Rops, and you just sort of compare them. Because I think that would be kind of interesting. What name is the fastest name in the history of running? The best name is Cosmos Indietti. I mean, there's just no question about that. What? Why? It just sounds cool. Cosmos Indietti? Yeah. Well, isn't it Cosmos? It's not Cosmos. 
right? Cosmos. C-O-S-M-O-S. Cosmos. Cosmos. It's C-O-S-M-A-S, by the way, I believe. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yes, it is. By the way, Paris Chip Churcher, she has a great last name because Chip Churcher and Chip Churcher for the man, this is what the guy mentioned, but he didn't really explain it, means born in a hurry or after a short labor. Wait, you said that's, oh, Kip Churcher. Okay. It's the same with women. Okay. Okay. So I think that's, that's good on New York City Marathon. There was another race. No, 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 no. No, no, you got more. Okay. Breaking news. Our favorite name has to be one of many people's favorite runners because he was like a flash in the pan, but he burned so brilliantly for a short period of time. What person would that describe, John? Daniel Komen? Correct. Do you know what Komen means? No. It means born when beer is being brewed or drunk. Wow. What a name. So it's only appropriate. The parents were drinking a little bit that he didn't last that long. And maybe the lifestyle wasn't. (laughs) Take that out. (laughs) I don't need to take it out. I'm just saying it as a joke. Like, you know, if they have some fun, they might not have the longest career. Okay. Moving on from New York marathon. There was another race in New York over the weekend, the U S five K road championships. And the wins there went to drew Hunter and Wayne Kaladi. The former in a kick, the latter in dominant fashion. It was pretty cool. Both of them were the Foot Locker champions in 2015, both from Virginia, both Virginia State champions in 2015, and then they end up as U.S. senior national champions in 2021, sharing the podium again. Kaladi, we saw it coming. She's been running well this year. She run the, won the 10K for women. She broke Molly, Molly Huddle's course record uh, in New York, and she also broke Molly Huddle's course record in Boston. So she's had a great fall, but I was more interested by Drew Hunter's results because this was the first time we had seen him race in 10 months. And during that time, he missed the Olympic trials because of a torn plantar fascia. He split acrimoniously with his coach, Tom Timman Schwartz was a lot of drama out there in Boulder over the winter, over the summer. But now he's back to running. He said he's only running 50, 60 miles a week. But he came out here, gave it a shot, and he seemed pretty optimistic. You know, he still thinks he belongs. He's only 24 still. You know, he's still not that old. And he's going to be hoping to make the U.S. team in the 5K next year. So I, I was definitely encouraged by this race. I mean, he put it well afterwards. He said, look, this is, a, this is a race where no one cares if you run well and no one cares if you run badly. But running well, it's like a positive sign, Okay. We, t- we don't want to read too much into this. Anthony Rotich ran well here a few years ago, and Robert crowned him as a future global medalist. That didn't quite pan out, but this was a step in the right direction for Drew Hunter. And he outkicked Matthew Centrowitz, by the way, um, who was the runner-up, who he's also fit right now, which is you know, kind of interesting. He's been out in Flagstaff training at altitude. Not sure, John, if you're trying to make fun of me for hyping the... USA Road 5K several years ago because on Friday, and again, I, I, I changed my opinion on things. On Friday, in the bonus, on the Friday 15 bonus podcast, I didn't want to talk about this race. I'm like, I don't need to talk about, we don't need to devote time to some C-level race. But when this race was finished, I was pleased. This is like the one thing that I would want to see happen is Drew Hunter run well. Does, does it really mean anything? No. But does it give it hope? Yes. But 
I'm still, I have a bitter taste about this mouth, about this race now and my forever and the rest of my life, this race will be a little bit bitter because for some reason on the ESPN broadcast, you guys were in the media room, probably didn't see this. They decided to show a 70 second highlight of this race at the two hour mark of the women's marathon. So between two hours and two fifteen of the women's marathon, there's three women running side by side in central park. We missed 10 minutes. There was a 10-minute period where there was zero running action shown on the ESPN broadcast, and this was one minute of it. So I don't know why. My biggest, and this piece is coming out later today. It's going to be suggestions for the future. If you're going to do a clip like this, which is fine, some of the profiles are really cool, just put this in like a big box and take up like 75% of the screen, but show the races in the corner like they do on the Manning Brothers broadcast on ESPN. Or show it at the start of the broadcast and not in the final miles of a close race. Okay. Well, then, yeah, go ahead. Yes, this Drew Hunter thing is huge. You guys are underselling this. I was shocked. I think it's a really big deal. I can't believe you guys aren't giving more hype. I'm also shocked that Matthew Centrowitz was second. That guy's been running terrible recently. I think this is very big for both of them. Maybe Anthony Rotich is a sign of caution. We should... Bear in mind, we hyped him up too much. And as Drew said, if you're not running well in next June, no one will give a shit about this race. That's the thing. No one cares if you're fit in November well then. Okay, one, it shows a couple of things. One, both these guys had a reason to be fit. Drew's got to get back. He's motivated. He's got to – so maybe he's more motivated in December. He, he was hurt all year, so he's fit. Sintra, I'm surprised there wasn't some downtime. But Centro said afterwards some interesting things. He's like, look, when I ran my – I think maybe I started a little late this year. I was running over 150 for the 800 to start the year. When I run my best, I'm running indoors. So he sounds motivated for this year. Very important. But Drew Hunter, I mean, there was a lot of question marks. He was going to be coached by his mom. How's that going to work? His mom's never really coached him. I think this is a huge win for her. Joan Hunter, she was one of the top high school coaches in the world. And she's showing at least immediately this can work. And I, I think that's super important. He, he was talking about his coach. And I'm like, you mean your mom? He's like, yeah, I try to call her coach, though, when I'm around the guys. So that was interesting. And the family, she's moving to Boulder. They're selling their stuff in Virginia. The whole family's moving out. But one, I they're, they're committed to this. I assume she's going to get paid. It's also showing what was done wrong the first time, right? Like, 10 men moved out there. There wasn't a contract. He had to do stuff on the side. Like the situation was bad. And the other thing I found interesting was some of Drew's comments afterwards, which I want to play right now. This is the start of the pandemic. What have been your biggest challenges? Uh, torn planner, um, the whole running world, making fun of me all the time. Um, uh, a bunch of false accusations against, you know, my family and myself. Um, what else? Uh, so I think, um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just been hard, you know. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I had to kind of really step back and remind myself why I why I do this. What do you guys think of those comments? Those comments confirm one of the things. There'll be a chapter in my book. Everybody wants to be a victim. And that may sound negative, but everyone wants to be an underdog. It's the same thing in sports. Like, me as a white man, I want to think they're not letting me into Princeton anymore. Oh, the world's out to get me. This is a guy that signed a multi-hundred, that super hundred, multi-million dollar contract with Adidas out of high school, and everyone's spreading lies about him, even though he fired the coach that had, his, you know, 
that they named the group after. So <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 people like to think people are out to get me. Everyone's on top of me. No, we'd like to see Drew do well, but I, did he deserve some criticism back then? Yes. Um, I'm kind of surprised Weldon is so big on this. This is a 1353 result. What's crazy to me about this is Drew Hunter makes more money officially for running 1353 in Central Park than Kennedy St. Bikile does for getting sixth in the New York City Marathon. $12,000 for Drew, $10,000 for Bikile. That's crazy to me. But I am more – so what, what, what do you think about these comments, Weldon? I, I just find it interesting. I think everyone's out to get him. Cause I don't think that's the case. Sure. Some people were critical. They didn't like you fire the namesake coach and they don't, he doesn't get to keep the name. That's going to rub people the wrong way. I think that's sort of fair criticism. And also you're a major runner with a huge online presence. People are going to comment. Don't expect everyone to like you. Well, yeah, l- let's set the record straight here because Tim Ailey definitely very popular you know they sell a lot of gear online people like their videos but they've also had a lot of haters and even before they parted ways with tin man and that sort of played out with the messy divorce people were bashing him on the message boards not everyone but some for sure and Westfly, this group down in you know the university of mississippi they their whole premise they basically just began as a media entity their whole thing was slamming tin man elite so they, d- they have their degree of haters in the running community. I'm not among them. I, I don't really try to play favorites with anyone. But yeah, everyone out to get it. The whole running world doesn't hate him. But that that group certainly has received a lot of hate over the last few years. Hate? So should we, should we turn it around? The running world hates let's run. These people just out to get us. Just uh, people have criticisms. Yeah, but I mean, look, when you're a 24-year-old, you know, he's he's been in the spotlight since he was 18, he started this professional group when he was what, 19 or 20 or something like, and if you're getting negative feedback when you're trying to start this out at the beginning of your professional career, I can understand that. Like I can understand him taking that hard. So I just think it's, you know, some sympathy is in order, but yes, he's a professional athlete. He's being paid well to be one. So that is going to come with some criticism. We need to teach these athletes. I mean, we're talking about the soccer player the other day, sticks and stones, Whatever happened to that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And maybe that's a bit naive because social media didn't exist then, but everyone just gets crushed by what's said about them online. You're giving up your agency. You can't control what's said about you online. And people, if you're in the limelight, people are going to say negative stuff about you. Think about it. You're president of the United States. You're doing a good job. 40% of the people still hate your guts. It's human nature to focus on the negative that's written about you. You know, people do the time and let's run. Like there'll be a thread. There'll be 90% great comments. One bad comment. People are like, oh, let's run's racist. It's sexist, et cetera. It's just human nature. So not a big deal there, but I don't know. In my mind, he deserved to be criticized for the way that went down. I also said he deserved to think that he wasn't wonder if he's going to be better with the new coach. This is encouraging Stein in the right direction. I'm still worried that he's not going to be healthy enough ever to train at the level that he needs to to be one of the world's best distance runners. I'm much more impressed by Centrowitz, to be honest. Why? Because this is a guy that's 32. He's moved. He's been training in Flagstaff for some C-level road race. This is very impressive. He's motivated. His talent level is has produced at the world at the at the global level. So they're they're both exciting things to think about. But you know. This isn't some, you know, 
it'll be it's it's a nice thing to talk about, but does it really mean anything in the grand scheme of things? No. Well, Centro, it's interesting. I think it comes down to for him, it's partly health. Like, I'm sure there have been years in the past where he wanted to put together an indoor season and couldn't because his he wasn't healthy. And he always seems to have these setbacks. And he'll get it together for USA's. And I don't think health was actually an excuse this year. He just did, like he said, he picked something up, sound like after the Olympics, but like going in, he seemed to be firing pretty well. So he definitely underperformed in Tokyo. But, you know, if he can stay healthy and start with a good indoor season, I think Chariot and Ingebrigtsen, the way they've transformed that event into just sort of making it time trial style and running who can run 328 and 329. I mean, that doesn't help Centro at age 32. I just think he his biggest benefit was he was a tactical magician. And if they're taking the tactical element out of the championship races, that really hurts him. But I don't know. If he can stay healthy, I think he'll still be making you know, a U.S. team next year. And he also said, you know, they hadn't decided this, but I asked him, are you doing the 15 or the 5K next year? He said, well, the training for the next month or two will be the same either way. So we'll make that decision, whatever event they think they're best at. I think if he wants to medal in the 1500, if he wants to medal globally, his best bet's still probably going to be the 1500. But, you know, his dad was a good 5K runner. And Centro mentioned, you know, in the high school, he thought he was going to be a 5K runner coming out of high school. He was the two-mile national champion, you know, in a great race with Craig Forres in 2007. So, you know, maybe, maybe he just wants to see what's there. You know, in the five thousand meters, I agree with you, John. His best bet for a medal is, is the fifteen hundred. Stop this five thousand talk. Now, I'd like to run in the five thousand. I think he could break the American record in the five thousand. I think that's a possibility. He's within ten seconds of it. Super shoes, yeah. But good luck meddling in the five thousand. Speaking of which, you guys, see this result? Road five k. Lil France. Barahu Aragawe twelve fifty two. That's pretty sick. The 5,000 is, I mean, Aragawi's 20 years of age. He was fourth, what, in the Olympic 10K, John, or 5K? Fourth in the 10K, remember, he was the Diamond League champion. He ran 12.58 on that weird oblong track in in Zurich. So does it shock me that on a road course, he? Could, I mean, 12.52 is flying on the roads, but we know that this guy's very, very good. Yeah, but this is surprising. I mean, I guess he's a big talent. You know, fourth in the Olympics at age 20. He was fifth in the two-mile parade this year. I mean, if you, if you go back and look at the it was 2018 World Juniors, I mean, that was a sick 10,000. He was third there. You got Ronix Caputo first, Jacob Caplimo second, Baraha Arigawi third, although he was, <laughs> to, to, to be fair, Caputo ran 27-21, Caplimo ran 27-40, and he ran 27-48. But those are some sick names at a young age, so. Um, it's going to be a, a fun year on the track. I mean, there's there's uh, Chepta guy, Caplimo, Arigawa. I think Ingebrigtsen's going to move up to the five. Doesn't he want to double? And isn't the double doable in Eugene? Yeah, Ingebrigtsen versus Chepta guy in the 5K. That would be fantastic. Can't wait. Wait, Robert, there's a world record set in the women's race, and we're, we're not going to mention it? That was... Well, that's a mixed gender world record. So the woman's only world record is significantly faster. But if Walden wants to stay for the record. Okay. Dawit say um, 14. I thought it was 41, but now World Athletics is saying 1439. 
is trying to round down now to make the times faster. But I don't get this. Shouldn't if you set a world record in a women's only race, shouldn't that supersede the mixed gender race? Like I don't I don't see you shouldn't have separate records if the women's only is faster. Well, what's the woman's only record, first of all? But John, everyone knows the man holds the woman back in society. So if the men are in the race, it's harder. Yeah, you guys, you guys have a history of this too. You know, I think we need to cancel. You held back Paula in two thousand two, and Robert held back Catherine Edereber in two thousand one in Chicago. So you've, you've hyped up your pacing accomplishments, and clearly, you know, you're actually doing the opposite of helping back when you're in Chicago. That's just my way of padding time though to find the actual world record for the mixed gender race it's 1429 Barry to yeah it was set at that adidas event in germany in september next week we'll be taking calls 1844 let's run has anyone done more for women's running than robert and i probably the greatest family for american for female running in the world john pacing two world records oh, discuss i thought robert was the one with the ego while we're talking about 5,000 meters, let's switch to the high school distance of 5,000 meters at the Michigan State meet. Excuse me. For the record, let me state the Michigan Lower Peninsula. They have an Upper Peninsula State meet and a Lower Peninsula State meet. This was at the Michigan Lower Peninsula State meet. Um, there was some controversy. Yeah, Robert, the story is this. Garrett Winter, he is a runner for Parchment High School. He finished second in the Division II race. Huge PB. 15-27. The race of his life. 22-second PB. Yeah, as he's crossing the finish line, he lets out an expletive. Sounded, you know, I didn't hear the actual clip. They actually took out the audio when they showed this clip on the MLive.com article, which has a good summary of of the race, of the whole incident. We'll link to it in the show notes. Certainly sounded like the same two words Shalane Flanagan said when she won New York in 2017. Shalane, she went viral for this. You know, people like, I thought it was awesome when she did it. It was a, it showed genuine emotion. That's how she felt. She was so, she was so moved by it. It meant so much to it that she was, just, you know, you could sit, show the frustration of getting beat. Finally, this lifelong accomplishment. She celebrated. It was just pure emotion. That's what happened here with Garrett Winter. And the the annoying thing about this is pretty much everyone involved admits this is what happened. Now, this is Cody Inglis, who is the Michigan High School Athletic Association assistant director, speaking to MLive.com. He said, no one person, not one person denied that this was an exclamation of joy, of true overwhelming success that Garrett just trusted the just crossed the finish line with and that he felt that this was the greatest PR he ran his best race ever and he was excited about it not one person questioned that it was not directed toward anybody yet they have a rule on the books that you know can't swear even if it's not directed to anyone it's a DQ worthy offense and so they decided to follow the rules and DQ him I think this whole thing's ridiculous the kid ran the race of his life he's entitled to celebrate okay should he have sworn no. And he accepted responsibility for that as well. He said, I'm sorry that I put the race officials in the position to have to make this call. If I would not have sworn in my emotional state, they would not have had to enforce this rule. At the end of the day, I said what I said and I cannot change that. I will not let this define me. Well, I get why there's no swearing rule, but in this case, I think the officials should have just let look the other way. 
This is kind of interesting, John, because it brings up a number of points. First of all, he was DQ because the rule book says he shall be disqualified. If you do, if you cuss, it says shall. It doesn't say may. So they're like, this is the thing that, you know, it's like if you step over the rail, you should be disqualified. I mean, you will be disqualified. So unless they want to ignore the rule, they had to disqualify him. Um, which is my biggest problem about the rule book is there's no sort of room for discretion. But I don't know. By the re- For the record, someone on the message board says they were there. And then he said, holy effing SH, let's go. So that's what he said. Holy effing SH, let's go. Um, I don't know. I mean, Flanagan gets away with this. To me, what should really happen here is this is obviously marketing opportunity for Shailene Flanagan. She needs to send this kid about $1,000 worth of Nike gear. It'll be on social media. It'll be free publicity. Please do that, Shailene. While you're at it, I don't want to have to buy the Nike Super Shoes, but I will wear them. If you send me a pair of the Vaporflies, since it was my idea, I'll go test them out for you. But I don't know. Like, uh, at first, I thought like, this is ridiculous. But then do I want every high schooler using the F-bomb at, at the finish line? Kind of actually reminds me of the NFL. Did you guys see this taunting penalty the other day in the Monday night game? And then they asked Mike Tomlin about it. Obviously, the taunting penalty helped him. But he's like, I'm all for the taunting penalty. We can't have kids hi- – we can't have NFL players taunting other teams, doing sideline gestures to the other team because high school and college kids see this and they imitate us. It's just a bad look. So – I think I would have just acted like I didn't hear. One of the officials says we, we couldn't act like we didn't hear it. That's what I would have done. You know, he's he's not even around other people. Like he was second overall in the race. There's hardly anyone near him. I would have just said, "Oh, I didn't hear that." You should on the books. That rule shouldn't be on the books. But this is personal for me. It reminds me. I completely forgot about this, and there'll be no way to verify this story if it's true or not because I'm not sure it's even true. But pretty sure my freshman year at Yale. I was hurt after the cross-country season. Maybe my only race of the indoor season. I might have been in like the th- third heat of the 3K at the Yale Invitational. Kicking for the wind and, you know, probably like nine minutes or something. 8.50 or something. I have no idea. I get out leaned and I yelled, ah, an F, as loud as I could. It wasn't literally like me. I was kind of a quiet kid from Texas. My coach, I'm sure, effing loved it. He was old school, man. But he came up to me, put his arm around me. He's like, you can't do that. You know, but I could tell, like, he liked the fire. So I think I might have won my coach over that day. But if it was in the third heat of uh, some shit meat. Oh, whoops. Yeah, what's the swearing policy on this podcast? Can we? I feel like we use shit or crap or, you know, we. I don't think we use the F-bomb. But, you know, pretty much everything else. Well, sometimes we do. Yeah, I, I think I've used the F-bomb at some point in this podcast. Should we just end with that voicemail every week for supporters, club members? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that one had plenty of swears in it. But no, I mean, look, I don't, I'm not opposed to having some sort of swearing rule in the book. Like if this guy turned around to the guy who was behind him and said F you and flipped the double bird, yeah, by all means, DQ him for being a total asshole. But when you're just being excited, like, are we really going to pretend high schools high schoolers don't swear when they're outside of school or like parents watching the race haven't heard a swear word before? Okay. Maybe there's like a five or six year old kid if you're corrupting them, but like, come on, man, this like when the explanation is, well, the rules, the rule, and we had to follow the rule and that's why he got DQ. You know, we didn't have any other choice when that's your justification 
as opposed to saying like, no, this was legitimate. It makes sense. You know, you kind of got a effed up situation. Pardon my French. So I don't know. I view Garrett Winter. I think I would hope most of his competitors do as the actual runner up in this race. And, you know, credit to him for, you know, his statement I thought was very mature and him accepting blame. And, you know, he, he, he accepted, he did it, you know, it was a momentary lapse in judgment. If you call it that, I wouldn't, but you know, the people who make the rules would, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, congrats on a great race. I'm sorry that, you know, the bureaucrats had to take the result away from you. Yeah. Jonathan Galt was all for my star runner at Cornell, Jimmy Weiner being disqualified for bowing to the Dartmouth fans after winning. Uh, I guess that's, that is kind of taunting, isn't it? I wasn't at Dartmouth at the time, and I don't think he should have been DQ'd. So that's my I just set him for the NFL taunting rules, but when my own athletes do it, I'm not for it. All right, guys. Pretty soon we're going to be getting to the Elkana Kibet interview. But before we do, I want to read an email that I got. Weldon's going to love this. He doesn't know I'm going to read it. A few weeks ago, Weldon did an interview with Raven Rogers. Weldon accused me of this podcast. He said, I know Robert hasn't listened to it. And I did. I listened to like the first half and I was very impressed by the way Weldon was interviewing. He was asking questions and then being silent, letting her answer, not doing any leading questions. I thought it was really good technique. And we've received the following email from Doug. He is a professor in communication studies at Fullerton College. Writes, your interview helped me with my own interview last week with our own former debaters, where our former debaters visit us by Zoom for an hour session explaining how students can navigate through college and careers and how debate can be a vital part of their education and training. Anyhow, I remember that Robert said what a great interview techniques were used in the Raven Rogers interview. And though I've taught debate and group communication for four decades and am fairly good at Q&A, I think it's always helpful to hear a good interview. That style is as much caught as taught. So thank you for helping our session be such a success. Well, then I just wanted you to feel good. Pat yourself on the back. You're helping educate the next generation. I'm still shocked Robert liked that interview so much because I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad this other guy enjoyed it. Always, we want your feedback. I think there's a link in the show notes you can get feedback, but email us, podcast at letsrun.com, whether you think the interviews are good or whether they suck. A couple things that we should hit before we get to the Ilkhana Kabat interview. Shalane Flanagan, we did not mention this in New York City Marathon recap section, but she was running her sixth marathon of the full. And she ran her fastest one, 233.32. Congrats to Shalane on that. She did not start with the elites, but, you know, she beat many of them, in fact. I think we we had a prediction on Friday. Would she, how many Americans would beat her? I believe someone here said five. And it turns out she was the sixth American. So going to pat myself on the back for that one as well. But I, I was pretty impressed, you know, 12th overall. And this, it helped that she had three weeks since her last marathon. You know, her first three all came, sorry, her first five all came in 23 days. And then this was her first one for 20 days. So even though New York's not the fastest course, you know, age 40, two knee, repl- two knee, inj- knee surgeries in 2019. I was just very impressed by what she did this fall. Yeah, when I first heard about this six marathon thing, I thought it was a PR stunt. I wasn't into it. I actually enjoyed it a lot. So congrats to her. 
by the way, John, she was not 12th overall. She was would have been 12th in the women's race if she had been in it, but she was in the mixed gender race. Okay, she had the 12th fastest time by a woman. Are you happy with that? Yeah. I think she may have actually won the Masters. Was she 40? She is 40. I think she may have beaten all the men in the Masters race. Maybe I misread that, but anyways, it was cool stuff. I want to, before we get to the interview, folks, I would like to give out some free marriage advice. One of the favorite sentences I've ever read on Let's Run. What I learned in the message board this week comes from the thread, marriage is hell, why haven't we figured out an alternative? That's a very negative sounding thread title. Most of the people are defending marriage in this thread, including one who writes, well, this guy's happily married for 20 years, he has four kids, etc. Here's the quote. Love is choice and action, not exclusively feelings and orgasms. You can get those on Hallmark and Pornhub. One of the greatest sentences ever written. He then continues, marriage is a commitment and work, but not much work. It's like spinning a bicycle wheel. Once it's up to speed and functioning, it doesn't take much to keep it going. Great post by Cracking Toast, folks. So there you have it. If you're going to need to strain your marriage, just go to the internet instead. Yes, I'm sure the Let's Run.com message boards have never steered anyone wrong in relationship advice. Okay, guys. The first American male at the New York City Marathon, Elkanah Cabet. Pretty impressive story. Running a PB after being active duty in the military. He's now in the WCAP program. And remember, come on, you got to try this stuff if you haven't. It's a win-win. You show our advertisers, you support them, and you get a great product. DrinkLMNT.com slash Let's Run. $5 free sample pack. I'll refund your money if you don't like it. Try it now. You got no excuse. All right. We are now joined by Elkana Kabet, who ran a personal best of 211.15 on Sunday to finish as the top American and fourth overall at the 2021 New York City Marathon. Elkana was born in Kenya, but he moved to the United States in 2006, attending Red Lake Community College and then Auburn University. And he then joined the U.S. Army and became a U.S. citizen in October 2013. Before Sunday, Elkan had finished in the top 10 at a World Marathon Major three times and represented the United States at two World Championships in the marathon. But his fourth in New York was his best placing ever in 13 career marathons, as well as a personal best. Now he trains in Colorado as a member of the U.S. Army World Class Athlete Program. And he has clinched a spot to compete for the United States next year in the 2022 World Championships Marathon in Eugene. Elkana, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Thank you. So obviously, congratulations on your run in New York. Going into the race, I think a lot of the attention was on Ben True debuting, uh, maybe Noah Drotti, he had the top PR by an American. So I think it was, it was a little bit of a surprise to see you as the top American, especially you know finishing up in fourth place. What were you expecting going into the race? When I was going to this race, I just wanted to really do well. And uh, my goal was I wanted to make the world championship team. So the tactic that, uh, so I looked at what they said you need to do to qualify for the world team. And uh, they said New York, uh, Boston, and then Chicago. So I looked at the results and I said, if I want to do well to make the team, I need to be top seven 
beat the guy who was number seven in uh, Boston because I knew Cullen Rapp already secured the spot because he, he was uh, top 10 at the Olympics in Sapporo, Japan. So my goal was just uh, do your best, make top 10. And then uh, once you are in top 10, try to go for top six. And that's what I did. Like uh, when we were running, I was just like, it's going to happen at some point. So and I tried to take care, like hang on with the leaders as much as I could and see where I will be. And I've, I was lucky enough and it happened that way. And you were one of the few Americans who sort of went with the, the lead pack early on. I think I remember Ben True dropped back and Jordy dropped back, some of the other guys. Like, did you ever consider trying to hang back and just run with the Americans? So once we were mile 25, no, mile uh, kilometer number, kilometer 25. So they met a surge and I see we were three guys left and... Uh, Ab, uh, Abdi Nekese was behind us and they met another surge on the hill and he dropped and when we finished the hill there was a water station and I knew I was there with them so we were three and I was like okay I can hang on with these guys as much as I can but when I picked water the other guys picked up down slope to, and they left me and I was only left behind so I thought about going to follow them hard and I say you know what uh, maybe there's somebody coming behind these American guys are coming behind me. So I said, okay, they might come. So I need to conserve as much energy because you don't want to, after being in front like that in a marathon, towards the end, you are dropped. So I was like, okay, I can just hold on a little bit and keep going. So lucky enough, Abdi came and by mile 19 or 20, he catch up with me and I was still worried. My Focus only was now I am top five. So I just need to watch like how many people are coming. Abdi came, I say, okay, if he beats me, because I saw how strong he, is, uh, he was at the Olympics towards the end. So I said, okay, if I, I need to hang with him as much as I can. So he can take me, probably I can be there. I will still make top six. And that's what I wanted. So we went together. He tried to make a surge. I followed him, uh, mile 21. I kept hanging with him. And then uh, when we reach uh, mile 22nd, I tried to make like a move because I said, okay, he's accepting to go with my pace. He's not like making any other move. And I tried to go in front a little bit and I saw he didn't respond and I just kept going from there. So, and, but that was the, the plan was like, try to be close to that position and then have a strong kick at the end. And, and that's what I I had uh, enough energy for that, and I felt great about it. Yeah, well, it worked out nicely. You beat Abdi Negaye, who was the Olympic silver medalist, and you beat Kenny Sabakele, who was the second fastest man of all time. What was it like beating those guys? I I, I understand the Pekela had run another race, so but this was not like really fast race, and it was tactical race, and it's a like a world championship, so. I mean, he ran a strong race, but you know, still in my mind, I just look at the picture. Somebody sent me a photo that they took uh, for me in front with Bekele and Albert. And I said, I'm going to save this for a lifetime because you never get to race the world record holder. And I beat the, uh, Bekele and then the current world record holder also for the half marathon. So to me, I look at the results and I tell myself, this is an achievement that I've never had before in my life. And I just need to be proud of the results that I obtained at the New York Marathon. Well, you should be proud. You make it sound easy too. Like 
Oh, I knew I had to be top six, so I did it. Well, <laughs> you know, next time we'll tell you you have to be like top three or something. You'll probably just do that easily. You have a penchant for making the world championship teams. Yes, I, I think that's that will be the goal going forward, and especially next year. Uh, I just want to have consistency because I've done this before. I've had a great marathon and then I go back, something changes with the training and then I never achieve again. So this time is I just told myself next year will be a focus for me to be consistent. Run the same the way I competed and make sure I maintain for all the races I will do next year, be consistent. So, and I will uh, plan myself based on the world championship team. So I will plan my competitions that I will go, but that will be my very big goal for next year. And I, I, I want to medal at the world championship. So that will be my goal going forward. That's a, that's a big goal, but it would be pretty, pretty awesome to do it in front of the home fans in Eugene. So I, I'm interested because, you know, people first started hearing about you in 2015, at least in the U S when, you ran you got seventh in your debut in Chicago and you ran two eleven thirty one and you did that coming off of you know you had been deployed to Kuwait and Iraq you only got back in March of that year and then by October you're running two eleven in Chicago so I think a lot of people were, were impressed by that and I remember seeing that I'm like wow if he could do that after being deployed you know seven months earlier he could go even faster if he gets to train full time as an athlete but that that didn't really happen like you didn't get your time any faster until just now what what sort of happened since then were you did you have any setbacks or anything like that well you know i i cannot say i had a setback it's just that i did a training and it went south i i don't know why but you know things happen like that sometimes and you learn from them and once you get up you pick up dust yourself and keep going so I think maybe it was training that I did because there's a time I ran, I ran a race and I was at 40k and I was exhausted. I never felt that way before. So I did too much. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I don't want to look back. I want to look forward now. I know where I am now. This is where I wanted to be. And I want to cherish this moment and embrace it and work hard from here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, what do you think for the training for this build-up? What do you think you got right? Well, I think what I would say really helped me is the last two weeks of the after the training for the build-up for the New York Marathon. Uh, I wasn't held fully. I trained with an injury. I had a groin problem uh, since March this year. And uh, I only got healthy in July maybe, no, June or May, and I did uh, Atlanta Pitch 3 10K. After, that was my first race comeback. And I, when after racing it, I said, I only train for a month and I can run this way. I ran my personal best in Atlanta for the 10K. And I was like, wow, I think close to my personal best. I think it was 29.00 and I have run 28.58 around there. So this gave me an impression that if I can train for a month like this, I just came back from injury. I think I can, I can do something better than going forward. So yeah, but, and then it started there. So I know you've been in the WCAP. You've had a couple different stints. When did you initially join the WCAP? 
So I joined the WCAP program in 2016, April of 2016. I moved to Colorado uh, from North Carolina after coming back from deployment in 2015. So 2016, I came back to, I moved to IPCS to Colorado Springs to join the program. And then now, so, and this also might be the reason why my results also might have gone south is uh, in 2018, after having a good race in Chicago, I would say that way, because that's when I, I hold, I sit back with uh, one of the runners. He told me, okay, we're going to help each other. And I sit back and I let the group go. And I was the only one running the second, the second half by myself. Like I just did a solo, solo effort running the second half of the marathon by myself. And I ran like the last seven kilometers was really fastest for me. So after that race, that was like a race I would have say, I would have built up from there. But after that, I went to officer training school, candidate school in Fort Benning, Georgia, October of 2018. And then I was there until uh, October, uh, January of 2019. And after that, I had only like a break of four months. And then... I came back and I ran at uh, Boston Marathon 2019, April. I ran like 2.11.51. So I was still having good results after being in school the entire time and having a little bit time to train in between. And then I went back to school until November of 2019. So I missed a lot of training in between there. Even though I was able, still able to compete at the World Championship in 2019, I didn't have like... I was in class most of the time sitting down and I was able to run like in the morning a little bit or sometimes in the evening. So that's uh, missing that training and, you know, people were training. I, was, I wasn't training the way I should have been training. And then uh, I reported back to, I was supposed to PCS to Hawaii from Fort Carson in 2019. But uh, lucky enough, my uh, branch, uh, finance branch uh, changed for me to come back to Fort Carson. So I came back to Fort Carson and I had only November. So I had December, January and February to get ready for the Olympic trials. So I had only like two months or three three months to get ready. So and I did that. I ran 2.13 of just that short time. So that could tell you like I was just telling myself, you know what? I need to encourage myself because having that short amount of time and be able to do that means a lot. So even though I was down, but if you look those years, those timeline, still there was some hope in it. Is it correct that after 2020, after the Olympic trials marathon, when you didn't make the team, that you were you were released from the WCAP program? Yes. Uh, so our program is designed that you you do three years leading up to the Olympics. And if you make the Olympics team, they keep you the, the coming year. You you keep staying in the program. But if you don't make the the Olympic team, then you will have to go back to regular army and try to apply back to the to come to the program. And that happened to me after the Olympic twenty twenty. I didn't uh, make the team, and my uh they sent me back to go to regular army and do my job. And I did that for a year. And in between that, I applied to come back and I got accepted. So, and I came back uh, this uh, March uh, 2021. So I did for a full year. Okay. And yeah, during that time, that year, you spent it working as a financial management technician. What exactly does that mean? Okay. So 
that's the the job we have. But I, at this time, I was working as a systems accountant at the G8 uh, budget division office. So it was a cool job, and I really enjoyed working there because I get I, you know, as soldiers, we always say you don't get to do real finance until you get deployed. So this time I was at the regular army at the base here in US, and I was able to do a full finance job, and I was working. Uh, doing on a team, so we had a uh, sections of teams. So, so I was uh, in a section for the systems accountant, and I was doing different stuff for finance. So it was like real, real finance job. And did you think at that point, you know, after not making the Olympic team, did you consider just retiring from running and working full time? Well, you know, I said if I don't, if I don't get accepted to go back, I had an option of going and work in the army. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't like regretting that, oh, I, I wouldn't be able to, able to run. I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to apply. If I get in accepted, I'll go. If not, I'll just uh, go back to the unit and probably it would be really hard to keep training and working full time in the army. And, you know, with the training and the schedule, I've done that before and I know how hard it is. So you can be lucky sometimes if you get a good assignment. Sometimes you are not, maybe, so it's 50-50. So, but I, I, I mean, I wasn't worried about anything. I said, if it doesn't happen that I will get to go back again, I will just continue with my army career and work as, work as a full-time soldier. So that was, um, I wasn't worried about it. So, But being back in the WCAP, uh, you know, March of 2021, have you just been training full-time since then? Yes, I've been training full-time now since March and I came back. I tried to do indoor track, but um, I think we were in uh, Virginia Beach for the indoor, but I had an injury and um, I tried to do, and I couldn't even finish the 5K. I did like maybe 2K only and I got out. So, but uh, I was supposed to actually qualify even for the outdoor trials, but you know what? I'm just happy what happened. So, you know, as a runner, sometimes things happen, but you just need to embrace and learn from them. So what was it like adjusting back to being in the W Cup cap after a year away? Like, were you, you know, I think you mentioned you tried to take, incorporate some of the things that you've been doing on your own when you rejoined the group, like how did training work? What was any adjustments that you had to make? So one thing is I didn't have to worry about because I used to run in the morning after I finish, I would go straight to work. So I used to have a towel, water in my car, just rinse and wipe myself and just go back to work after training. But this time now, after I finish workout, sometimes I go to gym and do some exercises, stretch, and then after that, I just go home and rest and then wait for the evening run. So, and when I came back, so after I got injured and the coach let me do what I was doing. So he said, because, you know, you, you've been training on your own for a year, I will just let you like, keep doing what you have been doing. So, and keep going, because he saw the results, you know, how I was running after injury. But this was in late, like, uh, because I got injured in March. So this was in, after the July, uh, running the race in July, in July 4th. So he said, you know what, uh, just keep, because I was doing rehab during the time between for the injury, I was doing rehab. 
and I went to see specialists, specialist, like special doctors. So I, and I'm very thankful for the USA track and field because they were able to help with that also. They sent me to, a, to their special physio, their physician. So, and they were able to check me, uh, take, make sure that they took care of me, get the best treatment I could. And well, I, it worked. It was magic. So you were mostly coaching yourself for this build-up then? Yes, I, and, and we yes, I kept I was training on my own and this you know most of our guys in the team are track guys and I was the only marathoner and uh so I joined in some guys who are training also and I joined with them, trained with them a little bit. So that's how I survived. But mostly I was training on my own, so that's what I did. So did Scott sit you down and say, Hey, you know, I think you should do your own thing or did you approach him? How how did that come about? Actually, it was very nice of uh, for him for doing that because, you know, he said you have a marathon you are getting ready for. And he said, you know, I don't want to change anything what you've been doing. He says, I want you to, to keep doing what you are doing and that will be fine. He says after that, and then we will come sit down and look what uh, we will reevaluate everything. And I think that's what we're going to do now after the New York marathon. The results have achieved. I'm going to sit down with him and I'll tell him, OK, so coach, this is what I did and this is really worked well and this is what I need to do or what do I need to do? And probably it will help me and point me or direct me or now to accomplish the same results based on what I will having sit down with him and communicate. So were you doing most of the workouts by yourself and making them up yourself or? Yes, I know what I've been doing. I, I mean, prior to the Olympic trials was really good training, you know. So I, I, I went off that and we, we did that, used that workouts, like 2Ks, 1Ks. So it's mostly the same thing and that's what we, we used. And um, I joined in, some guys would join in sometimes. I would, uh, Aaron would join in and he would be working, doing workout. We would do the same and then probably maybe if he cut short at the end and then he would pace me towards the end. And it was like that. And then sometimes somebody's doing fat leg or doing something and we do it with them a little bit and then I just keep continuing. Probably they are done. One thing that I was a little confused on after the race, because I had talked to Scott Simmons about this as well, was the setup in Colorado Springs. Because I know after the Olympic trials, there were a couple other guys uh, who were in a similar situation to you. They didn't make the team and then they got sort of rotated out of the WCAT program. And that was, I think it was Haran Lagarde and Lawi Lang, Franklin Tanui, Michael Jordan. But I think they're still out there training. Like, how, are they in a different group? How does that break down in terms of training and working out and coaching? Because after, I think after the Olympic trials, like everybody, they evaluate if each other individually, everybody individually, and they look at what you did and, so they will decide and say, okay, you have an option, your contract is, and every, everybody has a contract of three years or four years. And they will say, okay, so you have this time left. So what's your plan? What do you want to do? Because you either, they won't force you to go to the unit if you don't want to, but if you want to go to the unit and then try to apply back after a year or your contract is about to end, are you going to, you, you, you decide whether you eat yes, you're getting out you're done with your army career or you're going to go work for a year and then apply to come back. So that's a individual 
decision that they make and everybody had that opportunity and everybody made their plans. Uh, I think uh, MJ made their, he has a very good plan. And so, and everybody, the other guys, they are getting out and Aaron too is getting out. So, and Frank was a national guard, so he has to go back to his unit. And I think in the future, he's going to apply to come back too. So, and then, uh, so coach cannot force you to train with them if they have released you from the program. So you just, you are on your own. You can either train by yourself. You can do whatever you want. Nobody forces you to, you don't have to train as a team to come and train as a team. You just start, it's on your own. Because I, I remember, I feel like Haran had some sort of, it was a Facebook post or an Instagram post or something, how he was starting some new group or he's training on his own. Like, I didn't know if that, what the situation was with him, if he was working out with some of these other guys like Franklin and Lawi. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think I, yeah, you know, so Aaron is, uh, he has some ambitions to be a coach in the future. So, I mean, he's, he's a very good guy. He's, I mean, he can be a very good coach. I, I can tell about that about him. I mean, he has, he's passionate about it. So, and I know he's going to do well and his group or, I mean, the other guys, they are, they are on, they are training and, you know, they, I know everybody knows Aaron is a experienced guy. So everybody seek advice from him sometimes. Me too. I would talk to him and say, hey, what do you think about this? You know? He's a very nice, knowledgeable person about running. And, you know, he has a lot of answers. That's why guys like to, you know, associate with him. And I think everybody in our team do that. Like all of us, even like the medalists in our group, you know, they, we all talk with Aaron and share and learn ideas from him because he has been in the sport for a very long time. So he's a very knowledgeable person about running. That's why everybody likes to associate himself, themselves with him. Yeah, I remember he paced a lot of the diamond league steeples for you know when i started first started covering the sport he seemed like he was at the front of every race when i watched the diamond league steeples in europe back to this race in new york would you say this is your the best marathon you've run of your life or how, how do you rank your marathons well uh yes i can say that this was monumental because you know after injury <laughs> I was like, maybe this is the end of running career for me. <laughs> I never thought I would be able to again and run again. You know, when you get injured and something is knocking on you, I thought like, okay, I might not be able to run again. But being able to come back and run like that, you know, feeling strong all the way to the finish line, I cannot trade anything for that with that. I mean, that was like the best I've ever been because of the way I finished. You know, I could kick. And I was even telling myself, it's good they they break me they break Alia away from me. But if I was with them on the finish, like the last five k or the last two k, oh my goodness, they would have problem. They wouldn't drop me because I was really ready for it. So it's it's okay, you know. Next this next time, so I know I'm gonna do it again. What are the guys in the your old regular army unit like? Do you hear from them? What do they say when they see you get fourth in the New York City Marathon? Oh my goodness, uh, my. Uh, the, my boss at the where I was working, uh, he, he shared a Facebook post and uh, he was really excited about it. He just shared it and everybody in my branch, our finance branch, they are really excited. They wrote good job. I got a lot of messages from them and uh, they were really appreciative of what I did and 
they're excited, especially my partner buddies in the people we went together to OCS. We still have our own group. So we all stay, we still message. So a lot of people message and say, congratulations, we saw you on the TV. And I saw one of the message they sent and somebody was telling them, hey, you need to watch the TV uh, Kibet is running. So that was really encouraging. And I'm just happy that I inspire a lot of people. I've had a lot of messages saying, oh, you are encouraging us to keep going. So I think this thing for me really touched a lot of people. We're going to have a bunch of 38-year-old accountants taking up running, thinking they can get top 10 in the New York City Marathon. And I'm just getting started. You know, Abdi has done it for a long time, so I have no worry. I know I, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. Like 20, 2016, Meb made the Olympics when he was 40 years old. And then last year, Abdi made it when he was 43. And if you're 38 now... That means what you'll be 41 for actually, I think 40 by the next Olympic trials, right? Yes. Yes. So you, you thinking you still got a shot to make the Olympics then? You know what I tell myself is so long as I'm healthy, I'm going to go, I'm going to keep going. If Kipchoge is still going, I'm going to keep going too. <laughs> yeah. I know. Cause Kipchoge, I think he's, oh, he's like 37 officially, but I think most people acknowledge he's kind of, a couple of years older than that, maybe. Um, well, yeah, that's it. That's it. It's impressive. So you think you said you want a medal at Worlds next year. Are you ready for the heat? Because when I was in Eugene for the Olympic trials this year, it was like 106 degrees. Like if it's in the 80s or 90s during the race, you think you're going to be able to handle that? Yeah, I think Coach Scott really knows how to prepare for the heat. So I'll just take the advice that he will say, because I know weather-wise... If you listen to what he says, he knows those stuff. He is really good in figuring out what you need to do to be ready for the heat. Or if it's cold weather, like in Boston, he knows what to do. So you just have to listen to what he says. So I don't have to worry about that. I know you will have a trick. Okay. What was it like racing? You raced in Doha in the heat in 2019. What was it like racing in there? I think it was much better for us because it was the humidity was almost like zero. So it wasn't really bad, like when the ladies ran. So I think I was just, I got tired. Like after 10 miles, I was like, I didn't have anything in my legs. They were just completely tired. So, and that was based on what the preparation I had before. And I think I, I did a mistake. I just came like a few days before. <laughs> I should have come earlier and acclimatized and just stay there and get used to it. So I didn't do that. So, but that was the, so those are the things I learned. So I think, um, I will just follow what the coach will say about preparation for the eat. And I, I know I saw Tokyo, how it was. And I know Eugene, the good thing about Eugene, if they run in the morning, maybe the humidity will be lower. That, that can be camp changer too. So that helps a lot. But I'll try to get ready for that before then. And I hear a kid in the background. How many kids do you have? I have uh, three kids. <laughs> How old are they? Ten and then I have... The one making noise is 10, 10 months old. She's going to be 11. And then uh, I have a son. He's five and he's at school now. 10 months old. Wow. So now this is even more impressive. Not only do you get fourth in the New York City Marathon, personal best, you were training with a newborn the entire time. That must have been, was that tough? I know. My, so my, my mom came and she's with us. So she's a lot of help. 
and my wife is in school so she's doing school and uh she's coming home and she works a little bit sometimes so and we we are so thankful and we are appreciative that my mother was able to come and she's been helping us a lot she helps us a lot so we have help from my mom a lot so that's we are able to do what we are doing because my mom is here so i'm really thankful for that did your kids get to come to new york to watch the race they said they told me if i they were suppose my my daughter is uh taking catechism classes so she had to she watch a little bit and then she, they had to go to school to charge and then go to class so but they want to come to world championships uh they told me if they make they want to come and watch me so that will be their first time to come and watch me run they've never had time to do that so that will be really great do they see you on tv yeah, they 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 watch videos and my daughter like she googles and she goes to YouTube and she says, "Daddy, you are so famous." And she says, "A lot of people know you." And she look at mommy's phone. She says, "A lot of people are writing comments about you on Facebook." So she she knows that she she follows that and she sees that and they are really excited. She can be your social media manager. I know. <laughs> she she she's doing really good. She she's doing really well. Well, that's great because now they. You know, Eugene, that will be in July. So that's during school vacation. And you can show them Track Town USA and Priest Trail and all that stuff. That will be a nice little family vacation. I know. And inspire them to run, you know. <laughs> I told them I had to come to America to get scholarship. They are here. They are citizens. They don't have to run. They have to just do their they are in altitude. They are in Colorado. They have everything. So they just need to do the job. I've given them the best I can. <laughs> they just have to run. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. They grow up, but I want them to love running and just keep running because I am passionate about running. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I, I spoke to you in 2015, for the, we wrote, I wrote a story on you after your run in Chicago, and you mentioned... You know, Daniel Komen, I think, was your running running hero growing up. Like, did you follow the sport a lot when you were young in Kenya? Yes, you know, in Kenya, it's easy to follow sports because, you know, we are, it's a small country and the news, everybody gets the same news. So if there is an athlete who has competed, everybody will know because it, they will announce it in, in the radios and everybody will know about it. So it's easy to follow sports and, you know, we listen to the news. That's one thing about East Africa. Like everybody at a certain time, they have to listen to news to know what's going on in the world. <laughs> and they have news at like four o'clock, one o'clock. And they do that encouraging school because school, they say you have to know what's going on in the world. So you will know about any athlete that they run. So everybody will know about it. What did you like about Komen? Uh, I think Komen was the one who inspired me to come to school. Uh, I remember one time we were sitting down after dinner at around a fireplace and Komen said, okay, you guys have been training the whole year and you haven't gone to any races. And he said, you know, he he kept asking us around. He said, you, what did you score in high school? He asked me and another guy said, you guys, two of you, I'm going to help you guys. There's a scholarship in United States of America. He says, I, we, you guys can go to university. And then after you graduate, you can just come back and continue running. And then the other guys, he says, I will help you guys get races. So he inspired us. And after that, he left and we didn't meet again. And then I, it just happened that uh, one day we were sitting and one of my friends, uh, 
came back from he had gone to Uganda because you know Uganda they have scholarships too so he had gone there and he I was supposed to go back but he told me I had to go to like all level like you go like fifth and sixth year of high school but I came home and I got really sick from malaria and I said oh my goodness I'm not gonna go back to Uganda again so for him he went he joined in Deja University and I think uh a coach replied email to him after two years so and the coach who reply who emailed him was coach Pete Watson urban coach so he came back from Uganda he came back home and he said there's a coach coming to Kenya and he's he's doing recruiting so he had told him he went and he met up with him so his uncle was working at the Kimbia athletic camp in Iten so that's how he was able to meet him he went there he says i'm coming there he said oh i know there my uncle works there so he went there and he met with him and then he came home he says okay we have appointment to meet with him tomorrow and uh so i didn't even have transport to to pay for the transportation to go and he said i'm gonna pay for you so we went together he paid and we went together and we met coach pete in eldoret for the first time and he says okay we talked i showed him my credentials for running i had appeared in the newspaper for the junior competitions so he said okay you have to take sat and then um you're gonna come to urban you have to clear nca and then you're gonna come to urban university and that was it the rest was history so and he said if you don't make to come to urban i will uh, find a junior college for you so i wasn't cleared by the ncaa so he sent me to junior college and i didn't even know about rendler college so i was planning coming to urban i'm gonna go to school of business and then in August, he says, oh, no, you aren't cleared. You're going to Rendlake College. That's it. And I communicated with the coach at Rendlake, Coach Brent McLean, and he said, okay, Coach Peter has talked about great things about you. You're a good runner, and we're going to have you. You're going to enjoy Illinois. So I came. I went to Illinois. That's it. And then I, from Illinois, I went to Auburn. Who, who was the other guy who helped you get over here, the other Kenyan guy? His name is Gilbert. Uh, he, he's in Kenya now. So, but uh, we we still talk with him, and we come from the same village together. And we used to grow up as young guys, and we used to train together. So, and then he was lucky. He went to Ndeje University in Uganda, and he was studying there. And he's the one who really opened opened the doors for me to be able to come to United States. But one thing also. I think one thing I didn't say is uh, when I was in second year in high school. So I had a brother of uh, Shane, Stephen Shane Cherono, Stephen Cherono, the one who was running for Qatar. And uh, I think he brought a business card for Urban University and for a coach in Urban University. And that was Coach Pete. <laughs> so that's like, it was a miracle. And I he gave me that thing. He didn't even give me, he gave me and he says, okay, write this. And I told him, I'm going to go to that university. That was I think it was because I went to school. I joined high school in 2000 and 2000. Yeah, year 2000. And that was like 2001. So I wrote it on my notebook. I had a black notebook when I was in high school. And I wrote and I told them, I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to go do business in this school. And then that disappeared. I mean, I, I had it in my notebook and the Stephen Cherono brother, is, he came he came to United States too, at the, and he went to Cowley College, and then he went to University of Arkansas. So, but uh, I mean, that was like going to Auburn was like a dream come true. And I, and I, I, those are the things I came and thought later. I say, man, I these are the things I thought like 
long time ago. I didn't even know what was email. I just wrote down the email. I never knew what was email. I had never like opened a computer or anything. So, but I had it in my notebook that, hey, I'm gonna go to this school. He just gave it to me. But that's what happened when I was in second year in high school. But and then after that, it didn't even happen until like 2006 when I came here. That's when my friend like January 2006 we went and meet Coach Pete and so that was like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it was a blessing. So wait a second, were you saying Stephen Toronto's brother visited you? I was in high school with Stephen, uh, brother, Stephen Girona, brother. We were in the same high school. So we, we went to high school together. And, okay. you know, Shane used to compete in Europe. And then yeah. he comes home. So he brought a business card from Europe, from a coach. And that business card was for Coach Pete, for Urban okay. University at that time. So he brought like a business card for a coach. You know, and I wrote it down and I was like, I'm going to go to this school and I'm going to go to school of business. That was it when I was in high school, in second year in high school. But I, I mean, and then that disappeared like that. It never happened again until like 2000 now. And then we meet again, beat again. So that was really good. Well, that's pretty amazing how it worked out. And then you came yeah. to the United States. Yeah, exactly. And, and I went to Auburn and I graduated and now I'm Auburn alumni. So that was like. God wanted me to go to this school. <laughs> yeah, it was meant to be. I mean, it's like the... Yeah, it just happened. It really it's like he was looking it's for me sort of the American the dream. I mean, you hear this one school and you don't even know what it is. You end up going there and now you're running your third world championship team. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, I think that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Weldon, do you have anything else you wanted to ask Elkana before we let you go? You know, thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much. I just want to be say I am appreciative and, you know, I I came back, you know, always they say the first marathon is not always might go good. And then the second ones might not work. And then probably the seventh one will be the one that works. I don't know mine, which was this number. I, I still, I need to count about, see what number was it that worked really well <laughs> after the first one going really great. And then the other one didn't go really well. And then the this one worked really well. So I just want to encourage people, like, keep running, keep training, keep working hard. And sometimes things don't work. Just don't lose hope. Show up again. Dust up yourself. Wake up. Keep going. So, and I'm thankful for the career I have. I, I'm thankful to God for the U.S. Army. They have given me opportunity to work. And they are giving me opportunity to pursue my passion of running. And I cannot trade that with anything. So I'm very thankful for them. Well, this was Marathon 13. So that's unlucky for some people, but for you, it was lucky number 13. Are you going to do a spring marathon before Worlds? Do you think Worlds will be your next race, next marathon? Possibly. Everything that I will be doing is just will be preparation for uh, fall uh, World Championship. So July World Championship. So it's possible I, I will be able to we'll, we'll we'll see and talk with the coach and see what what's uh what will be the best ada to so we'll see what happens okay well we'll keep an eye on you next spring definitely july and eugene um yeah congrats again elkana and thanks for joining us on the podcast thank you for having me and remember come on you got to try this stuff if you haven't it's a win-win you show our advertisers, you support them, and you get a great product. DrinkLMNT.com slash Let's Run. $5 free sample pack. I will refund your money if you don't like it. Try it now. You got no excuse.